0: It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. Hey, welcome back to our podcast today. We have finished the book of Revelation. If I had a button here that made for a cheering sound, you'd be hearing it. Yay! We finished the book of Revelation. We're ready to move on to something brand new. I always go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the New Testament to the Old Testament. So we are in the book of Habakkuk. Now, it's very possible that if you've been in church, for 10 or 20 years, you've never heard a sermon preached from the book of Habakkuk, from the prophet Habakkuk. If that's true, then tonight should be a treat for you. We will be starting a four-part sermon series on the book of Habakkuk. This was a man who lived in a terrible time. The world of his day was a nightmare. If we look around our world today, it is a mess. Our world is a complete mess. People's lives have gone crazy. Families have lost their center. Nations have lost their identity. Individual humans don't know who they are, where they're going, or what they believe in. The world is a total mess. In the very same way, the world of Habakkuk was also in a sad state. Now Habakkuk lived in the time between the fall of the great city of Nineveh and the and the um, approaching fall of Jerusalem. It would have been the sixth 5th century BC. Um, around this time, Babylon had crushed Pharaoh Necro II in the Battle of in 605. So the world had been rewritten. Now I say that to remind you of this. I love history. I love history because it tells us about things and places and events, and the the greatest lesson you can learn about history is if you don't learn from the mistakes of history, you will repeat those mistakes again, and this nation is living proof that we have not yet learned from our mistakes in the past, and we are making them again. Remember that God works in time, in people's lives, in the events of nations. He is always involved. Now, this particular time, right around 6.05, only the southern kingdom of Judah remained. The Assyrians had taken, destroyed the northern kingdom, brought in foreign peoples to populate it. So all that was left was the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, from here, Habakkuk will cry out because of what he sees in Judah. Because of what he sees in the lives of the remaining people of Israel, he will say, Why, O Lord? Why is this happening? Habakkuk accuses Yahweh of terrible things. Without thinking about what he's saying, he is asking God to respond, but he has not yet considered that he may not like the way that God chooses to respond. You see, God has arranged all things in time according to his plan, and sometimes we don't exactly like the time scale, we don't like the series of events, but you know what? God allows what he does to get our attention and to affect a change in our behavior. If something is happening in your life and you find it confusing, you find it threatening, you find it um, a, a different situation, very challenging for you, I ask you, look around. What is it that God is trying to show you? What is God trying to get through to you through these events that you go through in life? Yeah, I've said it before, I'll say it again. God's plan is definitely not our idea of a rescue. <laughs> our idea of a rescue is God give me a fortune, God give me health, God give me a house, a car, a great job, all of these things. But that's not always God's plan for everybody. God's plan for everyone is not health and wealth and prosperity. That may not be popular, but I challenge you to go to the Word of God and see if that is not the truth. Okay, so as we are going to look at this very first chapter of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, we're going to be looking at a series of events between God and and Yahweh, between God and Yahweh, a sort of a a question and answer time. It's going to happen this week, it's going to happen next week, and then we're going to move on and we're going to see some other things begin to develop over the next four weeks. The first thing I want you to see, the first way that God gets a hold of us is this, Habakkuk charges God with a crime. Who in history would have thought that they could rail their fist into the heaven and accuse God of being a criminal? Let's see what Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 1.1. 1, 1. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? or cry out to you about violence, and you do not save. Do you hear the anger in his voice? Do you hear the frustration of seeing what's happening in his beloved country, and he is just utterly heartsick about what he's seen? Verse 3 says this, Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges, for the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Wow. This is a horrible charge to throw in the face of Yahweh, God Almighty. Yes, they have seen the northern kingdom fall. They see them all taken away into captivity by the Assyrians. But now he is seeing things happening in Judah, in that southern kingdom, and he is very much afraid that the same thing that happened to them is going to happen to his own people. Let's examine this again. Verse 1 says this, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The word oracle literally means a lifting up of the voice or an outcry. I know that you and I know this feeling very well. In the morning, I get up to watch the news before I go to work. And I turn it on and it will tell me a a small child was taken captive in a, in, a, in, a, in a carjacking and the child was ejected onto the road and, and was killed or a woman was trying to come home with her baby and someone tried to uh, rob her and then the process killed both her and her child and I get angry I get frustrated I say Lord how can people be so sick and you see there's a difference Habakkuk charged God with the crime, even though people were responsible for it. Sometimes we want to blame God when it's people doing what people do. Here's what I always say to folks. Do you not understand the word sin? The word sin takes into an effect that when Adam and Eve turned their back on God, when they tried to do it their own way, they essentially were breaking that sacred mold in which they were formed, and something creeped into them, a sinful, rebellious, angry, frustrated, you know, 11-year-old who can't go out on Saturday night type of anger. And um, everyone has cried out against God when they can't get their way like a spoiled child. But you know what? It goes beyond that. Consider this, Isaiah 55, 8-11. through Isaiah 55, 8-11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word, my proclamation... Be that that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, here's the thing about prophets in the time of Israel. A prophet sometimes would have a word come to them from God or would have an experience with God. And sometimes it was pleasant, sometimes it was not pleasant, sometimes it was challenging, sometimes it was painful. Uh, A number of the prophets suffered great uh, agony of spirit because they were asked to carry a message to Israel or to Judah that they did not want to receive. So here's the thing. We look at the world and go, Lord... Why are you inactive? Why aren't you doing your job? Why aren't you stopping evil people? Well, what do we not know about the word sin? We are sinners. We who have not accepted Christ, we who are not under the authority of the Holy Spirit, are sinners. And sinners do evil. They do evil inside of God. They do what is right in their own mind, in their own right heart. And, and that is something that we've seen ever since the book of Genesis. Consider Genesis 6-5. Then Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Go back and look at that phrase. Every intention, what he sets about to do, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Why? Because all we think about day in and day out is How can I get more? How can I get further ahead? How can I prosper? How can I have a bigger house, a better car, more money in the bank, more popularity, more fame? How can I do all these things and be more than what I am? Because I'm not content to be what God made me. I want to be what somebody else is. I want to be this famous person. I want to be an influencer or, or, or whatever else you want to put there. But that's the whole thing. We get caught away in our own thoughts so it says, you know, you do not listen, you do not save, you do not, talk. you do not stop oppression, you tolerate wrongdoing. That's not the way it goes. God gives us freedom. He gives us the ability to act. We are not robots. We are not programmed to serve. I do relate to number four, though, to uh, verse four. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never ends emerges for the wicked restrict the righteous and we see this today in our courts we see it in our laws we see that you can say this but you can't say this you can talk about this but you can't talk about that we have to blind ourselves to the lessons of history we have to pretend it never happened so that we don't have to deal with the consequences of it no we didn't sin against god no there was no garden of eden no we didn't break the tent no jesus did not go to the cross for us That's what we think, because we don't want to be responsible to someone other than our own thoughts and our own intentions. You see, Habakkuk charges God with a crime, but it's man that is acting in a criminal fashion. Man's acting in a criminal fashion. And that brings us to our second point. When he charges God with a crime, God answers. Just take a look at that answer right now. Habakkuk 1 verse 5, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. I I totally identify with that because I am shocked day by day at just how crazy the world is, just how insane people's activity are, their thoughts, the things that they say, the things that they propose. And I'm utterly stunned that the world could have come to this. I mean, I'm only 60 years old, but the world I knew died out long ago. The world I knew or I grew up in that world doesn't exist anymore. The people that I see at school right now, these, these students coming in, they don't know a world of peace. They don't know a world of security. They don't know a world of community. All they know is dog eat dog, fight for yourself, carry your can of mace, do whatever you have to to survive. It's a strange, strange world out there. He says, look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded for something is taking place in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Man, can I identify with that? Verse six, look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories, not their own. As soon as God says this, he says the word Chaldeans, he knows exactly who they're talking about. Habakkuk probably uh, shook with fear at that very word. Now, the Chaldeans themselves were a small group of people from southern Babylonia. They were a, a, a tribal people. Now, later, because of their ferocity and their strength and their power, later the name Chaldean became synonymous with the word Babylon and the entire Babylonian empire. Now, here's the thing about people in the world. God doesn't have to move people to do wicked things. God doesn't have to move people to act in a way that is violent and vicious. That is who people are removed from the word of God, removed from the love of God and the grace of God. One quote I read said this, God uses the free will and evil passions of people and or devils to their own ends. And so he has said to rise up those whom he allows to be stirred up against his people since the events which his providence permits. So basically, the people that he's dealing with, these Chaldeans, they are dominators, they are world takers, they are are aggressive. He simply allows them to make their move against the people of Judah, against the southern kingdom. The Assyrians took the north and now these uh, Chaldeans, these Babylonians will take the south. He didn't have to move them to do it. They did it because that is who they are. But God uses them as a vessel, a vessel of reprimand, a vessel of chastisement to get the attention of people who have turned their backs on their God. He He is calling them to do that. And many of the prophets who are prophesying to, uh, to Judah at this time are going to talk about how evil these people are, how quick the destruction will be. And you can find that if, if you are looking, especially in, in the book of Jeremiah, you will see these great descriptions of what these Chaldean people were like. So when God is ready to do something... He doesn't have to put evil intentions in the hearts and minds of people. It's already there. He simply has to remove his hand, which restrains them and allows them to do what it is they want to do. Now, the very third part I want you to look at right now is this. You know, we've said, so God has answered. And you know what? His explanation to Habakkuk is confusing. I'm not sure Habakkuk was ready for this, but this is what he's going to hear. Habakkuk 1.7. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. You should underline that. That is our nation. That is our nations of the earth today. We view justice and sovereignty according to our definitions our terms we live in a day and age when words don't mean anything anymore you can say this word or that word you can say independence equality fairness and everybody will define it in a different way in a completely different way you can talk about the importance of history and i've heard people say you know what history should be cleansed of what was and what was uncomfortable so we can make it about what it's supposed to be in the future no no you cannot erase the past. You have to deal with the ugliness of it. You have to deal with the mistakes that were made. And that from those mistakes you learn, we must never allow this to happen again. There was a man named Adolf Hitler who did atrocious, horrible things in this country of Germany. And his evil, his sickness, his plague spread all the way around him. And ultimately cost 10 million people their lives that's how many people were slaughtered under the nazi regime yes there were six million of those jewish people who were slaughtered because they were jewish because uh, they were what adolf hitler considered inferior or non-people but there were another four million that he exterminated because they didn't meet his definition of humanity. So it says their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. That was a terrifying image, because wolves at night, you don't see them till they're there, and they are bloodthirsty, and they are a hazard to all who are out at night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. All of them come in to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings, and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps. We're going to come back to that. Build siege ramps to capture that place. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. Wow, Uh, such a beautiful poetic description of what these people would be like. Also extremely prophetic. When it says that they will uh, build a siege ramp to capture it, if you have done any work in history at all, and you know I love history, the Romans built a siege ramp in 73 AD at the mountain of Masada. And Masada was was a citadel stone in the middle of the desert. And it was on top of a very narrow approach ramp so that they could easily defend it. However, what the Romans did is they basically dug up, tore down everything around it, and they built a siege ramp That was 300 feet tall. They had to go 300 feet up to reach the gates of Masada. You know, and you think about this. When the Babylonians came against Israel, they came against Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem were only around 39 feet high at that time. So when it says they would build siege towers or siege ramps, or I've actually read siege walls, uh, they didn't have to go as high as the Romans did. Now, it took the uh, Romans uh, several months to build a 300-foot siege ramp at Masada. So we know that the, the Babylonians who were organized and well, well-versed in this sort of warfare, they could have built it in a very short period of time. If we want to know a little bit more about how this is going to work out, consider 2 Kings. 25 1. This is is the prophecy about what's going to happen. Let's look at what actually happened. 2 Kings 25 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army. They they laid siege to the city and built a siege wall up against it and all around it. The city was under siege until King Zedekiah's eleventh year. Now, Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C. So it fell in 586 B.C. I said we were talking about the end of the 6th, early into the 5th century, when you're talking about Habakkuk's uh, ministry. And so you know that he's just warning them, hey, this is what's going to happen. He even told them exactly how the Babylonians would take the city, laying massive mounds of dirt up against the outside, giving themselves a a leverage to get up higher, to get up to the top, to get in. If you go to the um, medieval medieval days, uh, they would lay large uh, ladders up against the sides of these castles, and they would climb the ladders, and they would go over the top rather than trying to go through the walls. So here all they had to do was build a siege wall or a siege ramp against it, and that's how the city of Jerusalem was taken. Uh, It's incredible when you look at it. Now, if you want to know ultimately what's going to happen uh, to the king who is going to besiege Jerusalem. Uh, you know, Basically, he's saying, this is what's going to happen. This is, this is how I've got things laid out. What they couldn't have known was how it would ultimately end up. An example of God's ultimate justice, which did not come at that time, but came later, can be found in Daniel 4, 29 and 32. Why do I go forward? Simple. When God makes a promise you know there will be a fulfillment. So if you are ever doing Bible studies in the Old Testament, find the promise, find the fulfillment. Every time you find the fulfillment, you have more and more confidence in the God who says, I will do this, I will do that. We just went through Revelation. Jesus said, if I go, I'm going to come back. And we know that right there in Revelation, he came back. If he said to us, he will judge, we know in Revelation, he was the judge. And he will judge on that day. But let's go back. So they said that these Babylonians, these Chaldeans are going to sweep in. They're going to build siege walls. They're going to take Jerusalem. At that time, they thought Jerusalem was safe. They thought they could do it. But Daniel 4, 29-32 says this. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal garden in Babylon. Now this is King Nebuchadnezzar that we just had mentioned a minute ago. And the king uh, said is not this great babylon which i have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty isn't it amazing is that my city fantastic yes because i built it it reflects my glory while the words were still in the king's mouth there fell a voice from heaven o oh, king nebuchadnezzar To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. This was a lesson that he should have learned because the the, the people that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar brought in We know their names, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. We know that Daniel was Belteshazzar. These people told king about how great the God of heaven was. And they told him that God has given him this kingdom. He's given them over to rule these people. But he didn't listen. He got arrogant. And this is what always happens to people who think they are in charge of their own life. Things go good. They think they've got this. They start to push ahead, and they don't realize that God giveth and God taketh away. So basically, we know from this whole passage in, in Daniel 4, uh, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He acts like a wild beast. Um, my professor in seminary once referred to him as the first werewolf because it says his, his nails grew long, the hair in his body grew, and the dew of the morning was on him, and he lived like a werewolf in, in, the, in the wilderness. And that's uh, an interesting uh, picture. Now here's the thing, when we look at what Habakkuk is saying, when we look at his saying that they will fly like an eagle swooping to devour, all of them will come to do violence, their faces are set in determination, that's a very negative, very pessimistic thing. But go back over to his contemporary, someone who's also preaching, someone who's also prophesying, Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. Now you all know. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, But I'm going to guess that unless you have a very good pastor, you don't understand verse 11 because you've never read verse 10. Verse 10 of Jeremiah 29 says, For thus says Yahweh, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. You're going to be slaves for 70 years. You're going to go away into a foreign land for 70 years. Most of you will die in that foreign land. He tells them in that same chapter, Hey, settle down, plant vineyards, you know, build a house, grow a family, because you ain't going nowhere. You're going to be there for 70 years. And then when it's done, I will bring you back to this place. And then our favorite verse, For I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope this is not just after they come back this is while they are in babylon while they are in that hard place when they are far from home you may be far from home today you may be far from home either in a foreign country i spent six and a half years as an expat far from the shores of america and you can feel cut off You can feel cut off in a foreign country because the customs are different, the food is different, the people are different. But God says, I can prosper you wherever you go if you are looking to me as the source of your prosperity. If you are waiting to go through those seven years, I am going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have to bring your children home. Whatever you're going through today, know that God has got you. God has a plan for you. You might be going through the low times, but as surely as God brings you into captivity, he will bring you out. He will deliver you again, but you have to look to him. And that's exactly the whole point that he's trying to get through to Habakkuk. Yes, you see all these terrible things, but you know what? I got a plan. Here's my plan on raising up the Chaldeans and they're gonna come and they are gonna be devastating and they're going to be devastating because these people consider their armies to be their strength they consider their tenacity to be their strength they consider their strength of their arms and legs and weapons to be their god but don't worry about it because i still win in the end and we're going to see this as we move on in chapter one next sunday so come on back next sunday we're going to pick up in verse 12 we're going to go forward but remember When things are confusing, when things are crazy, do not blame God for the actions of men, but look to see what it is God is doing and God will answer you from his word. He will answer you in prayer. He will show you that he has a plan. He is working the plan right now to bring you to the place you need to be. Even though the world seems the way it is, there is a rapture coming, church. We are going to get out of here. I don't know whether it's going to be a year, five years, ten years, or long after I'm dead. Doesn't matter. The God who promised me he will come for me will come for me, whether I live or walk the veil. Amen? You have a blessed week. You take care. You be strong out there in the real world. God bless you till I see you again with words from the Wildwood. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it could be a, it could be a love offering, a gift. Send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S T I D H A M, Richard Stidham at Box thirteen twenty one baytown texas 77521 and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air have a great day god bless and remember keep looking up our salvation is drawing near